Once again, great job reading that, Cindy. Thank you very much. Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to you dads. And uh, on your way out this... Thank you. On your way out this morning, um, there, there would be pies back there for dads. Okay? Dads, you qualify. Take a whoopie pie. On your way out. On your way out. We don't want you to go grab one now and eating it there while I am speaking. It would make a mess. And it would distract me because I wish I'd have one. So on your way out. Also, men, on your way out, there's a uh, men's study beginning in July. On, uh, we're going to look at Scripture says about spiritual warfare and how we as men can be equipped for battle. So it's your opportunity to be a part of that. Sign up on that sheet uh, on the way out if you want to attend that study for four Saturday mornings in July. Well, many years ago, there was a TV talk show host who was interviewing some bodybuilders. Now, you've probably seen these guys. Uh, they have muscles on their muscles. They have muscles on places where I don't even have places. Well, the host asked a daring question. He said, what do you do, what do you use all those muscles for? And one guy answered by flexing his muscles in one of those bodybuilding poses. I'll spare you that look. No, you don't understand me, the host replied. What do you use those muscles for? The guy says, I'll show you. And he flexed again, posing in another way. No, 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 you still don't understand my question. What do you use them for? And the guy posed again. And I thought, sadly, that describes some Christians today. They attend church, they go to Bible studies, they listen to podcasts of their favorite preachers, and you can build all the spiritual muscle you want, but do you use them for what God intended? I mean, what is the body to be all about? I remember using that bodybuilding illustration back some time ago when I was pastoring in Portland, Maine, and I think I ended the illustration with some thoughtless comment out of ignorance, really, about the uselessness of bodybuilding. Yeah. There was a visitor that Sunday, unbeliever at the time, who came up to me after service, and he was quite muscular. I mean, he was built, and he, and he simply looked me in the eye, and he said, you know, sometime I'll talk to you about the benefits of bodybuilding. And then he squeezed my hand real tight. <laughs> yeah, foot and mouth disease. I opened my mouth long enough to switch feet. Speaking of foot and mouth and bodybuilding, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. 1 Corinthians 12 as we continue in our sermon series on church awakening. Church awakening. Now, I chose not to work through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, as is my common practice, but instead select eight passages to focus on. And to this morning, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 27. And I urge you, as I do each week, to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 27, or get it on your phone or something as you follow along with me. And Paul here, as was just read, he compares the church to the human, part, human body. That the parts of the physical body function best when each part is doing its work. And while there may be, and obviously there are, benefits to bodybuilding, our bodies weren't made by the Creator God just to flex. For all of their peculiarities, 
Bodybuilders understand the significance of every single part of the body. In the same way, you as followers of Jesus Christ are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a significant part of it. You weren't placed in this body just to flex your biblical knowledge or to show off your piety. I mean, what is the body of Christ to be all about? Well, that's exactly what we're looking at this morning. I want to give you the main thought, as I often do, right up front. It's this. The church body functions at its best when each part assumes their responsibility. It's on your screen. Church body functions, functions at its best when each part assumes their responsibility. Every single part of the body must develop and function in order for the church to be as effective as it could be. All right, my first point this morning is big picture. I want to look at the big picture, first of all. Uh, kind of take a step back before we look at the particulars of this section and get an overview of Paul's uh, a thought here in chapter 12 leading up to the verses we're looking at. And prior to these verses, Paul reminds this church fraught with all kinds of problems of the common ground they have as Christians. So look at uh, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now, you see here that differences and distinctions in a church should never be seen as the problem. They should be valued and appreciated. For the church in Corinth, however, healthy diversity turned into unhealthy conflict. And so Paul brings them back to the basics. He says, while there are different gifts and there are are different ministries and there are different ways God was working, the source is the same. The triune God was the giver of the gifts. Paul brings them back to the core truth that whatever part you play in the church and contribution you make to the church, it was given to you by God. Now, that should give us a reality check. Your spiritual gift is a given thing. Your role in the church is a given thing. And God is the giver. Now, I want you to notice also here in this big picture, Paul's emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit. Go down to verse 13 with me. Chapter 12, verse 13, he says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were given one spirit to drink. Now, that last part's a reference to John chapter 7. You can go look at it for yourself, and where Jesus likens the Holy Spirit to drinking of water. That's what he's saying there. But sadly, the teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit has become a battleground of confusion and division in the church today. Not necessarily our local church, but the church and community of believers today. Now it goes beyond my purposes this morning to turn our time into a teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, but I do want to say this, and it's on the screen because I really want to make sure we get this. Nowhere in Scripture... Nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, for that isn't our responsibility. The baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at the moment you put your trust in Christ for salvation. If you are asked, 
Have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. Always yes if you are a Christian. Always. The passage here says nothing of that baptism by the Holy Spirit be accompanied by some signs like speaking in tongues or healings or you're feeling this chill go down your spine. To the church in Corinth and to every believer since, when you personally accepted Jesus' offer of salvation at that moment, you were baptized into one body and immediately became part of the body of Christ. If you belong to Christ, you belong to everyone else who belongs to Christ. That's how it works. That's why Paul says in verse 14, follow along, now the body is not made up of one part but of many. It's the body of Christ that Paul is now going to take the rest of the chapter to expound on. And the picture of the body is a favorite of Paul's. And it's one that really doesn't have an Old Testament equivalent. It's very unique to the New Testament. And what we're going to see here this morning is he uses the picture of the parts of the human body to get his point across. He speaks here of how ludicrous it would be to have parts of the physical body rebelling against each other. In a very playful way to make a serious point, he even has the body parts speaking to each other. It's kind of, kind of fun how he uses this witty analogy, but his hope is that as the church in Corinth and hearing these words, they wake up as he's speaking of these body parts speaking to each other. They go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I think, I, think, I think Paul's talking about us here. I think he might even be ridiculing us a little bit. I mean, is this how we sound? Oh, if our feet and eyes and ears could speak in the same way the church was behaving, they would say some bizarre things. All right, where did the church in Corinth break down? And by application, what's keeping the church today from greater effectiveness and impacts? There's probably a lot of answers to that. But this one, I think, is really high on my list of why it's the case that so many local churches are struggling at best today, and some are dying at worst. All right, two prevalent attitudes. I'm just going to spend the rest of my time this morning on two prevalent attitudes. We see the first attitude in verse 15, an attitude of feeling insignificant, uh, I don't belong. All right, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Now, now if you just kind of go here for a little bit, you can kind of hear the foot feeling a little insignificant. If a foot could speak, it might say, you know, no one ever says, all in favor, raise your feet. (laughs) Or put together your feet and give them a round of applause, right? So they feel kind of insignificant. Or to pick something off the floor, it's usually the hand that picks it up. Now, the older I, I get, though, I do attempt to pick things up with my feet so that I don't have to bend over, right? Or at least if I do bend over and, and get on the floor, I, I wonder what else I can do while I'm down there, right? You know the feeling. So the foot may have a different role to play, but is needed in order for the body to function as a unit. And Paul goes from the foot speaking to the ear speaking, verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Now, you notice a key phrase that pops up here is, I do not belong. I don't belong. 
And the I do not belong attitude, church, has crippled the church. It's crippled the church. The feeling is one of insignificance. But no part is insignificant in the church, just like no part is insignificant in the physical body. Every part has a function to perform. Now, at first pass, there seems to be certain members of the human body with a more important function than others. But then you realize you wouldn't want to part with any of them, that is, if you want to function most effectively. Now, Pastor Ray Stedman tells of a time when a doctor came up to him after he preached from this passage, and the doctor said to him, do you know the part of your body that's absolutely essential to you as a preacher? He went on, you don't even think about it when you're preaching, but without it, it would affect the work you're doing. Do you know what it is? And Ray Stedman answered, well, I would guess it's, it's my tongue. He said, no, the doctor replied, that's not it. Well, then it must be my brain. No, those are obvious. If, he said, if it, it's your big toe. <laughs> it's your big toe. If you didn't have that big toe on each foot, you could not even stand up to preach. It's the toe that has the ability to sense when your body begins to lean or shift or get out of balance or begin to fall, and it merely strengthens you so that you can stand up and speak. If you're a toe here today, we need you, all right? We need you. In the church, we tend to hold up as more important those who preach and, and teach and, and those who serve on, on front lines. And the point here isn't to be dismissive of those gifts or to unappreciate its, underappreciate its value to the church. Without the other parts, very little would get done here because it takes a church. And just because you're a foot and not a hand or an ear instead of an eye, it isn't reason to feel you have no place here. If all we had were preachers and teachers and, and those that, that serve in the front lines, then so much of the work would not get done here. And that's where Paul goes next, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, and my weirdness, uh, my mind goes to Stuart the Minion, who has one eye right here. I can't help it. If the body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Now we could have a lot of fun with this. I'm resisting. But what he's saying here is God didn't design the body to have only one function. The unity and diversity of the human body is likened to the unity and diversity of the church body. It's the differences here that enhance our unity. So do you know what your function is at the body, in, the, in the body of Christ? doesn't have to be flashy. It isn't about being the best player on the team. I mean, we're to do our best, but it isn't to be about the best player on the team. It's about assuming your responsibility by participating, by getting involved, by committing to the church, and stepping up to serve. In the, in the movie uh, Miracle, a great movie, it's based on the true story of the 1980 U.S. Olympic ice hockey team, you recall, as it marches to an improbable um, gold medal. At the outset of the story, Coach Herb Brooks is, show, is shown selecting the players for his team on a, on, a, on a piece of paper. And then he hands that piece of paper to his assistant coach, uh, uh, Craig Patrick, 
And this list of names that he's chosen to be on his team. And Craig says in surprise, you're missing some of the best players. You're missing some of the best players. And Brooks responds, I'm not looking for the best players, Craig. Just the right ones. Just the right ones. See, Herb Brooks knew that individual talent would take the team only so far. A willingness to fit into his style of selfless play would be far more important than talent. Clearly, team success, not individual glory, was the priority. Listen, we're not looking for the best here, but the right people to serve at Evangelical Baptist Church. Who are the right people? People willing to serve. People willing to get involved. And each person needs to assume his or her responsibilities in the church. Now, you know, I've talked about throughout this, this series and much before this, um, about four E's in carrying out the ministry of the church here. We have engaging and we have establishing. I'll skip the third one for a second. Evangelizing. Well, that third E is equipping. Equipping. Our main tool for this equipping ministry to get to the place where we want to make disciples who make disciples, the third E there, and the main tool for that has been our Network Spiritual Gifts Workshop. And the goal there is to place the right people in the right place of ministry. Now, if you haven't been part of, gone through that, then I encourage you, next time it's offered, jump in and, and find out what the spiritual gift is so that you can say, okay, this is the right person here to serve in this right ministry. But until then, or if you've gone through it and haven't done anything with it, I would say start where you are. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Start serving. Get involved. And not just with an idea, as Pastor Jen talked about in the epistle this past week, not just what something others can do. You know, this would be a great thing for the church to do. No, no, not just that. But something you're willing to run with or be a part of. You see, an awakened church, an awakened church has this excitement about reaching out into the community. An awakened church has this excitement about being involved in the work of the ministry. See, no arms shall be twisted. No guilt-induced recruitment. No lowering of the bar to make it more convenient for you to serve. No gimmicks to hook you in. No, but each part, assuming their responsibility as a member of the body of Christ. You're not an accident that you're here. You're not an accident. That's what he says there in verse 18. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. He has arranged the parts, every one of them. That means you. Feeling of insignificance might be a reason you're not involved today. You might think, what difference could I make to the effectiveness of the church? I don't belong. Feeling of insignificance. That's one prevalent attitude in the Corinthian church and sadly still in the church today. Well, let me give you the second attitude. It is an attitude of independence. Attitude of independence. I don't need you. Attitude. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. He goes on, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. 
You're a smart group. You can figure out what he's talking about there. Then he goes on. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. Paul seems to, his point seems to be the importance of valuing what others are doing. That church, we need each other. There's no place for members going rogue, doing their own thing, or trying to do it all. And this independent attitude may be American. We might pride ourselves in it as New Englanders, but it is not biblical. Healthy church, healthy church is characterized by interdependence, not independent entities. In a healthy church, all the believers depend on each other. In a healthy body of believers, we help each other function at their best. You know what that also means? That we have to embrace our limitations. No one person can do it all, or just a few. And I had to learn this the hard way. Early on in my ministry, I nearly burnt out because I was trying to do it all. They call it the savior complex. Oh, I'll say, oh, I'll do this. You need me right now? Got it. Job to be filled? I'll do it. How freeing it was, though, to serve with an appreciation of how much I needed others. It was freeing. And how much we need each other. But you know what? Still, now and again, that independent spirit, I can do it all kind of stuff, sneaks in on me. It does. It's unhealthy for me. It's a disservice for you. And it's unbiblical. And I know of churches that try to solve the lack of involvement by hiring more staff. I mean, I get that. I I really do get that. But church, replacing volunteerism with professionalism is not the answer. It's not the answer. It'd be like if you showed up to coach a high school football team for the first time, and at your first team meeting with the high schoolers, the team announces, hey, coach, I want you to know we all agree with this. We all want to play quarterback. That's the position we will play. That is why we signed up to play football. We're all going to be quarterbacks. Now, who wants 30 quarterbacks on your team? It doesn't matter if they're all the best quarterbacks in the region. Who will they pass to? No one person can fulfill the function of a football team. No one person can fulfill the function of the church or a few people. Do you know what would happen if those with the gift of help stopped using their gifts? Those helping us in the background this morning when the tech department said, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. You don't want me doing it. You don't. It'd be awful. Do you know what would happen? If they just stop using the gift, do you know what would happen if those who contribute by praying regularly for the church, because that's the season they're in right now, that's what they can do? And they, but you know what would happen, though, if those who contribute by praying for the church, praying for momentum ministry, praying for our church leaders felt they weren't needed? See, the point is, there are no nobodies in the church. As one pastor put it, everybody is somebody because we're in this together. That's what he says in the middle of verse 24. Let your eyes go there. But God has combined or mixed together the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. I'm focusing on that last phrase. Equal concern for each other. 
You know, we have bought this lie of the enemy that says we shouldn't concern ourselves with being our brother's keeper or sister's keeper. After all, we have kids to shuttle off to the next activity. We have work deadlines to meet. We have the expectations from others to fulfill. We have our own personal ambitions to carry out, and on and on it goes. And while we're off carrying on, doing our own thing, to think of adding anything else to that seems to be too heavy of a load to carry. But we are one body, and we are to have concern for the other parts. And the more that jump into that, the better of sharing the load. And it doesn't feel as heavy. There's this poster. Likely you've seen the poster. It goes way back. The scene in this, in this poster, this visual, is of an orphanage. And in the background are the wide open, storm-wracked skies of the Midwest. A storm is brewing. And two poor, raggedly clothed youngsters stand at the door of a farmhouse looking for shelter from the storm. The older brother is carrying the younger brother on his back. That's in this picture. Then there's a woman standing there in the doorway and the door's open. She's obviously made some comment about the one boy carrying the other boy. And the caption reads, He ain't heavy, he's my brother. He ain't heavy because he's my brother. The Hollies, right? The road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where, who knows where. But I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. So on we go. His welfare is of my concern. No burden is he to bear. We'll get there. And while we're on the way to there, why not share? And the load doesn't weigh me down at all. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Together, church, we share the load. And when it's spread out and not just on a few, we can say, oh yeah, there's a heaviness about it for sure. I get that. But he ain't heavy. We'll keep doing it because he's my brother. He's my sister. We're family. It takes a church equal concern for each other. What I do or don't do affects all the other parts and vice versa. Look at verse 26. Verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now there's something I noticed with this verse this time, really for the first time. Notice that it doesn't, what it doesn't say. It doesn't say if one part suffers, every part should suffer with it. That's how I've always read it. If you suffer, then I am obligated to suffer with you. That's not what it says. It's saying that is what happens. One part suffers, every part suffers with it. It's saying you're affected by it. All right, if you've ever gone to bed with some soreness in one part of your body, you know what that does to the rest of your body, right? I mean, you hurt your shoulder and you go to bed the rest of your body is so concerned that it stays up all night with it to keep it company, right? The rest of your body doesn't say, shoulder, this is your problem. Suck it up, go to sleep, go off and hurt by yourself. You can't keep the rest of us awake. Doesn't say that. 
No, no, no. Your whole body suffers with it. You don't have to say, other part, you should suffer with this. No, it just does. I don't think I'm stretching things at all here when I say that when a fellow believer suffers by causing some dishonor on the name of Christ, all Christians feel that. Someone falls into sin, the rest of the body suffers with it. Not you should, no, no, we do. The unbelieving community thinks of me in light of what another believer has done, right? If there's a public scandal out there, it reflects on me as a follower of Jesus. The world judges all Christians by the behavior of a few. Now, it goes the other way also. When another believer does something that's looked upon favorably by the unbelieving community, they may think more honorably of you. Our actions do affect other Christians positively or negatively, right? You've seen this play out in your life. I mean, how many times have you felt you had to overcome what someone else thinks of Christ and Christians because of what they witness from some other believer, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I hired a Christian to work for me. Never again. He was the worst worker I ever hired. Showed up late, tried to evangelize me on work time. No, I would never hire a Christian. You're a Christian? Huh. Or my parents call themselves Christians, but what others saw on Sunday was different than what I had to suffer with during the week. You're a Christian? (laughs) Sorry, don't like your type. Here's the principle on the screen. The responsibility for the reputation of the body of Christ rests with every one of us. Do you ever think of it that way? What I do this week could affect what other people think of you. Vice versa. Responsibility for the reputation of the body of Christ rests with every one of us. How we believe, how we conduct ourselves before others will influence how others see the church. Let that sink in. I'm still working it. And perhaps you're here today and this is exactly what you're struggling with. You've seen the ugliness in the church. You've felt the hypocrisy. And you're going, really, Pastor, you're telling me to get involved? No way. Why would I get involved in that mess? Listen. Don't give up on the church. It's a miserable place. To, I almost gave up on the church. It's a miserable place to be. Not recently, but I remember it as if it was recently. It was miserable. Don't give up on the church. I read of a grandmother. She read, received this thank you note from her grandson after he'd recently stayed with her and grandpa for a few days. And the letter went like this. Dear Grandma, I had lots of fun at your house. I'm sorry I dug up all your plants. I'm sorry I used a whole roll of toilet paper. I'm sorry I put it in the toilet. I'm sorry I tried to flush it down. I'm sorry the water went all over your floor. I'm sorry I bothered your neighbors, and I'm sorry I made Grandpa really mad. I'm sorry for putting sand in your rainwater. I'm sorry I lost three spoons. Then he says, Grandma, can I come again for a few weeks in the summer? (laughs) Your grandson, Gary Peters. Okay, grandparents. What would you do if you got a letter like that? You'd probably write him back and say, come on over. It would be great to have you. Right? We look past the mess. 
We look past the imperfections. And we say, well, in the church, I'm not looking past it. I, I, I'm, getting involved is way too messy. Listen, you may, no, you will get hurt. You will get hurt. You won't always be appreciated. What you do will not always be valued as it should. There are no perfect churches. There are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect elders. There are no perfect people. We need to wake up, though. We need to wake up to the opportunities we are letting slip away because we can't get past some hurt. Because we'd rather live in the safety of isolation. Safety in quotes. We'd rather live in the safety or comfort of isolation rather than embrace others by acknowledging our own neediness. They go, nah, not worth it. Listen, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. That's a fact. That's not a suggestion. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Do you see how the body works? Do you see how we are to function? I want you to ask, now what? What do I do with this? Are you assuming your responsibility here at Evangelical Baptist Church? Or wherever you come from? Are you committed to this family here? Do you know what part you can play here? You have to start somewhere. What's your excuse? Let's go against the strong current of excuses and status quo and get involved in meaningful relationships, assisting one another along this tough journey called life. The midst of storms, it's a comfort, really, to know we're linked together. So I ask you, what is holding you back from involvement? What's holding you back from investing in the ministry here, in the kingdom work, and in other people? What is it? You've got to work it out. It takes a church. It takes a church. Bob Butler, story goes, he lost his legs in a landmine explosion in Vietnam. He returned home a war hero. One day, he was working in his garage when he heard a woman's screams come from a nearby house. And he rolled his wheelchair toward the house, but the dense shrubbery wouldn't allow him access to the back door. So the veteran got out of his wheelchair and crawled through the dirt and bushes. When Butler finally arrived at the house, he traced the screams to, a, to, to the pool where a three-year-old girl was lying at the bottom. She'd been born without arms. She had fallen in the water and couldn't swim. Butler instinctively jumped into the water, brought little Stephanie up to the deck. Her face was blue. She had no pulse. She was not breathing. Butler immediately went to work uh, performing CPR to revive her as Stephanie's mom sobbed and, and hugged Butler's shoulder. Don't worry, Butler calmly said. I was her arms to get her out of the pool. I'm now her lungs. Together we can make it. Seconds later, the little girl coughed, regained consciousness, and began to cry. And as they hugged and rejoiced together, Butler told the mom this story of what happened to him. He said, when my legs were blown off in the war, I was alone in the field. No one was there to help except a, a little Vietnamese girl. And as this Vietnamese girl struggled to drag me into her village, 
She said in broken English, it's okay, you can live. I'll be your legs. Together, we can make it. Together, we can make it. The church body functions at its best when each part assumes their responsibility. It takes a church. It takes a church. Let's pray. God, thank you for these very practical words. As I said earlier in the first service, you know, it's pretty straightforward stuff. If we just read this on our own, we could draw some awesome conclusions. I mean, you might want to complicate it so we don't have to obey it, but at face value, it's pretty clear. And I just pray, God, in the application area that each one would make the application to their life as you want them to. And we would take to heart what it says here about each of our responsibility in the church. And that we'd work that out in a way that brings honor and glory to you. We thank you, God, that we remember this and nothing. We can do absolutely nothing without you. So it's not just about us jumping in in the flesh. It's about us jumping in, realizing, though, that we need you to even carry it out. Because apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing of bearing fruit. Help us to be mindful as we sing our closing song here in Jesus' name. Amen.